0: Mine eyes have seen the coming of the glory of the Lord. He is trampling out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. He hath loosed the faithful lightning of his terrible swift sword. His truth is marching on. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Glory, glory, hallelujah, his truth is marching on. These are the words penned by Julia Ward Howe in 1861 in the American Civil War. And they speak about a God who judges the world with a terrible swift sword, with his furious wrath. And it speaks about a church that rejoices in this judgment When we sang this song, and I'm sure we all have, it struck me, I'm sure it struck you, what kind of God is this? Who does this to the world? And what kind of people are his church that rejoice in his judgment? These are tricky, hard concepts that we're going to deal with today in Revelation 19. And as always, we're going to need the Holy Spirit's help to help us understand his word. So would you pray with me? Lord God, you're very good. You give us your truths in the Bible Help us now to understand this, and we help us with the Holy Spirit so we can engage with your word, believe it, and love it. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, welcome back to our series on the Revelations. We are heading towards the end of Revelations now, and today we're hitting chapter 19, which is the, last, the second and third last boxes on, on the map. And last couple of weeks, we saw that Babylon was actually destroyed, was judged destroyed. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we saw the macro view of Babylon getting destroyed. And last week with Stu, you saw the sort of a zoom-in version of that view. We saw that the kings, the merchants, and the sea captains were all mourning because Babylon had been destroyed in such a quick period of time. And the call last week was to come out of Babylon, to not be part of that anymore, to live for heaven and to come out of Babylon. Well, today we're going to see two things. We're going to see two feasts. One is the great wedding feast, and the other feast is the great supper. And as it turns out, the great supper is not great at all. It's quite, it's quite horrific, and you don't want to go there. But as always, you're going to need to have one eye on your Bibles and also one eye on me so you can actually understand what's going on in the passage. So let's go to the great wedding feast, and you'll find that in verses 1 through to 10. Now, cast your minds back to the end of last week's passage. Babylon had been destroyed And there's an eerie silence over this once great city, of this once great empire. And in this city is silence. There's no longer musicians playing. There's no longer um, industry of any sort. There's no longer marriage and people being joyful about this getting married. It's just eerie, eerie silence. And as we focus in on the end of chapter 18, this eerie silence, out of nowhere we hear a magnificent roar. And you'll see that in verse 1. So come with me to verse 1. It says this, After this, I heard what sounded like a great roar of a great multitude in heaven, shouting, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. There's silence in Babylon, but in God's holy city, on Zion, people are shouting Hallelujah. They're praising God. And why? Let's keep going. For true... And just are his judgments. These people on Zion are praising God because of what he's just done to Babylon, his judgments. Now, some of us might be sitting there thinking, oh, that's not very nice. It's a bit mean spirited. I mean, yes, you know, Babylon's bad, but should we gloat? Should we be so mean spirited? And why are these Christians up on Mount Zion so happy about it? Well, it tells us. Let's keep going. He has condemned. The great prostitute who corrupted the earth by her adulteries. He has avenged on her the blood of his servants. You see, Babylon, as we've seen in the past couple of weeks, spent her time intoxicating the world with her wine, with her pleasures, with her riches, and the whole world is drunk with her her wine. And they're so drunk, they're in such a state of stupor that they can't see anything but what Babylon has to offer and they mindlessly follow her, and she's willingly deceiving them, and now she's destroyed, she's taking them with her. She's been bad for the whole world. But some people have risen out of it. have stopped being drunk, have risen above the haze, and they can see reality, they can see God. And what did Babylon do to those people? She persecuted them. She brought them to interrogations, she killed them if they have refused to renounce Jesus. Many of them, in this first century, were killed because of a belief in Jesus. And we saw several, a couple of months ago that the, the, the martyrs were at the altar saying, God, when are you going to avenge us for what these people have done for us? And God back then said, not now, not yet. And now in chapter 19 is the yet. God is now bringing justice to the world. He's repaying Babylon for what he's done and the people of God are rejoicing in it and saying, "Hallelujah, praise God for His judgment." Now when we hear this, we still feel a little bit, "Oh, this sounds still a little bit. Why should we be, should be happy about this? Can we be happy about this? And I think a lot of us feel that, because in reality, a lot of us here, we haven't actually faced that kind of injustice, haven't faced that kind of persecution. I know all of us have faced injustice of some sort or other, but not in, in a, the intense sense that these guys have. And so when they hear about this, they say, yes. You see, back then in chapter 1, Christians were actually getting persecuted. And not only that, a few a decade or so later, um, many other Christians were persecuted, including St. Andrew. where at St. Andrew's. He was preaching the gospel. who's was sharing God's love with people in Greece, and they, they martyred him for it. They put him on a cross. And church tradition tells us they didn't feel worthy of dying like his Savior and Lord on a cross like this. And so they put him on a cross, which was slightly lopsided. It was a bit of an X shape. And so we get the St. Andrew's cross, because that's how he was... He was crucified. And all through the ages, Christians had been persecuted and even, even martyred for their faith. In fact, in 2017, there's a Dr. Hanalee who went with the UN and she went to Kabul to do medicine, yes, but also to share the gospel with people. And she thought she'd be the one at risk because she's the most high profile of the family. But one day, the Taliban went to her house, not her workplace, and they killed her husband and her two children. That was 2017. Christians today, as they've always been done, have been persecuted. And that's unjust. And there's lots of injustice going on in the world. And we don't feel it because, fortunately or unfortunately, we're in a very peaceful part of the world. We don't taste that. We've lost our desire for justice. We've lost our hatred of injustice. But these guys had it. And they felt it. And when when they heard that on Judgment Day... God will bring about this justice, they said yes, and they rejoiced. And I think 2,000 years later, we've lost a bit of that, and so we don't quite align with what's being described in Revelation 19. And I think we need to get a bit of that back. Sure, we face injustices, we get cut off in traffic, we get overcharged for a meal, but really that's nothing in comparison to what brothers and sisters of all through the ages, including today, are facing. And so let me encourage you, as, as I've been encouraged this week to regain that sense of justice, to love again things which are right, to long for the day when things will be set right by God. Align ourselves with a great many of our brothers and sisters across the world and align ourselves with a picture of heaven in Revelation 19 one of the very good ways to do this, of course, uh, I've mentioned this before, is to just every now and again, and, and I'm very bad at this, I hope you do a better job than I do, but to get on our websites like The Voice of the Martyrs, uh, vom.com.au, and just read some of the stories that are about Christians, our brothers and sisters, and how they're treated around the world, and regain that righteous, holy anger at what's going on, and longing for the day when this will be set right. That's one thing we can do. And of course, to pray for them, to give, to support them in all those things. the second thing we realize that this 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 singing is occurring in a place where it's actually a wedding banquet and we see at the wedding banquet the lamb who is jesus who loves his fiancée so much he died for her and he's there and also we see this woman and this woman she's gorgeous she's gorgeous unlike the other woman we saw the last two weeks remember babylon baby that woman she was gorgeous too wasn't she she was dressed in scarlet and, and, and purple and she had gold and she had a wine, a golden cup of, of, of wine intoxicating everyone. She, she was attractive. But as we looked at her, we found out she was evil. She was deceiving people. She was killing Christians. But this woman at the wedding, she's gorgeous. She's dressed in fine linen. She's dressed in white. And this that was given to her. And what's special about her? Well, she... These are the acts of righteousness that she was given to do. She was clothed in love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. She's been preparing for the wedding. And now she's ready to be with the Lamb. And the first century Christians saw this and they said, yes. Yes, there'll be judgment. And so now what I need to do is keep on putting on that, that linen clothing keep on putting on myself the fruit of the Spirit. I'm not going to worship the Caesars. I'm not going to go and sleep with temple prostitutes. I'm not going to cheat or lie or steal or do any of those things. I'm going to keep growing in Christ-likeness and making myself beautiful, preparing for my wedding with a lamb. Now, 2,000 years later, the same with us, isn't it? We are heading to a wedding. We are going to be the bride. And our call now is to keep clothing ourselves with the fruit of the Spirit. Now I know sometimes the women you sort of feel a bit hard done by it because in the Old Testament all this stuff is all this, it's always been talked about you know you are the sons of God. You say well why should we be the sons of God? You know, but, well in the Old Testament it's good to be the son of God because the sons of God inherit right. So men and women are like you are sons of God. You get to inherit and that's fantastic. But here's where the women get their own back because on Judgment Day the men and women are going to be the brides of Christ. And so the job now is for us, as brides of Christ, to prep ourselves for the wedding. And you know what weddings are like. They're minds back to your own wedding. Um, the guys, well, they do nothing, right? They just sort of get a suit, put on a tie, like going to work, really. But the women, they spend months, years, right? They, they, get, they, get, the, they get the photographer, they get the, um, the church, they get the reception place, and all, and then they get their colors done and you know, make sure they look right. And it's, it, it's, they prepare themselves because they want to look good on their wedding day. And it's like that for the church. We're heading towards a wedding, And our job now is not to do nothing. Our job is to keep on putting on this garment, the fruit of the Spirit, the love of God, the love of people, and so we'll be ready to meet the groom on that final day. That's our job for now. And that's the picture and the first feast. It's a good one. It's beautiful. But then there comes the second feast, and this is the Great Supper of God. And we find that in verses 11 through 21. And it's not a great supper at all. You see, here what happens is we see the picture of, a, of a, the lamb getting down from the, the, the first table, the head table, and he disappears for a while. And the next thing we see of the lamb is that he's actually going down into the battlefield. But only this time, he doesn't look like a groom. He doesn't look like a lamb. He looks like a warrior. And he's dressed in armor. He's riding on his white horse. This is not the same guy as we saw in the four horsemen of the apocalypse. This is Jesus. His name is the Word of God. His name is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And he's ready for battle. And his clothing is dipped in blood. And a sword is coming out of his mouth. And he's going in there to fight. And his armies, his legions are following him. As they are marching to the battlefield, an angel comes out and gives a great call. But the call isn't to humans. The call is to the birds. I don't know if you've watched Alfred Hitchcock, The Birds. But that's the kind of picture I get. It's a bird. He's calling the birds because birds, there is a party going on. It's not, it's not the one on, on Mount Zion. It's not the one in heaven. It's the one that's going to be on the battlefield. And you birds are invited to feast. You're invited to feast on the corpses, on the carcasses of kings and generals and great men, free men, slaves, great and small. You're invited to eat at this feast because the caterer has come. The warrior has come and he's going to provide for you a massive, horrific banquet. And so the two forces come together, the one of a warrior and the one of the beast and the prophets. And just like we saw several weeks ago in Armageddon, and just as we saw two weeks ago, there is no battle. There's no fight. It's over in less than half a verse. The beast and the prophet are captured and thrown to a lake of fire, and everyone else is destroyed by the Lamb by the warrior with the sword coming out of his mouth. It's a horrific picture. But if you were a first century Christian, you would have seen this picture and said, yes, that's the Jesus I'm following. This is the one we heard about, who actually went up to Pharisees and always beat them, no matter what their tricks were. This is a Jesus who stood up in a storm and just calmed it with a word. This is a Jesus who cast out demons, and when he faced off against legion, they were so scared of him. They ask his permission to die. This is a Jesus I'm following. And finally, he's showing the other side. And they will rejoice in this. And they'll be encouraged not to give in to the power of Rome, of Babylon, of all the world powers, but to stay firmly in the army of Jesus and march with him. They would have no doubt also looked at the feast, the great supper of the Lord, and seen in there a great many of their friends and their family members, who are still stuck in the haze of Babylon. And they would have mourned for them. And they would have redoubled their efforts, even in the midst of persecution, even in the midst of injustices, to keep bringing them the love and the gospel message of God. And that's exactly what they did. And how do we know? Well, church history tells us. But the very fact that we're sitting in this room, 2,000 years later, on the other side of the world, Reading the letter that they first read is testament to the fact that they went out there in the midst of all this persecution, shared the love of Jesus with others, who shared the love of Jesus with others, all the way to us. They were motivated to love the world, even despite the hard times they were facing. And 2,000 years on, the encouragement is very similar to us, isn't it? The world does look at Christianity as a bit of a has-been thing. It looks as Christians, it looks at the church, as a bunch of do-gooders who don't quite do good enough and a bunch of guys who just speak against societal norms and are traditionalists. We feel small, we feel weak, and Jesus doesn't seem to be prominent or powerful. But the encouragement for us is, just as Jesus was powerful against the demons and the, the waves and even death itself when he was thirsty, when he comes again, Jesus will be seen to be powerful again. A great teacher, a great healer, yes, but a great warrior as well will deal out justice. And the encouragement for us is don't be timid. Don't be afraid. You're on Team Jesus. He wins. He's a general. He's the prince. And we are in his army. So take courage in that, no matter how small you might feel in the workplace outside after Sundays. But also, of course, we too look around us in our golf clubs, in our schools, in our universities, in our workplaces, in our shopping malls. And we brush shoulders each day with hundreds, thousands of people whose destiny is to be in the great supper of God. And we need to have our hearts softened. We need to have our our hearts made tender again to see their plight. And just like our first century, brothers and sisters, renew our efforts and our creativity and our wisdom in doing things which will bring them into the family of God. Well, we've seen two big feasts today, haven't we? The wedding feast and the great supper. And if you're sort of thinking, this stuff sounds really scary, and I'm not quite sure I'm, I'm on board with that, then it's great that you're here at church today. Welcome. Thank you so much for spending Sunday morning with us. The good thing for you is you've risen above the haze, the drunkenness of Babylon, and now you can see eternal things, the things of God. And the good news for you is that day is not today. The Bible tells us this is the year of God's favor. This is the day of salvation. You have a chance now to, to take what you've heard from Revelation chapter 19 and actually become a Christian. Join those people in the wedding feast. So thank you so much for coming. It's great that you're, you're hearing stuff. Please talk to your friend. Please talk to Ness. Please talk to myself or Stu afterwards. Find out more about this bunch of guys who are singing praises to God on the last day. But if you are a Christian then being a part of the food for birds is not our fate, is it? Our fate is going to be at the reception of a lamb and the church. And on that day, you can just picture it, you're going to be at the reception and there'll be a tug on your hand. And you'll look down and there'll be a little boy and he say to you, thank you so much. I used to be in Babylon, but I came out and now I'm with you at the wedding of a lamb. And you say, "Why?" Well, do I know you? He said, well no, we haven't actually met but you are one of those guys from St. Andrews in Roseville, aren't you? You guys sent a missionary couple to my village and they shared with us the love of Jesus and as a result I became a Christian I left Babylon and your heart will melt and you thank God, wow, such a small thing I did but God made it a big thing for this guy. You turn around and a guy will come up and shake your hand and say, I don't know you but you know what? I was one of your, your daughter's friends at school and she was such a good girl. She was kind, she was courteous, she was loving, she was, she was truthful, she always helped the socially awkward, she always helped those struggling in school and she said that it was because of the way she was brought up. And I liked her and she shared with me about God and I became a Christian. I was once in Babylon, but now I'm in the wedding feast and it's in part because of how you raised your daughter. So thank you so much for what you did. It wasn't easy, I know, but you did it, and God used it. And your heart once again will melt, and you'll be thankful. And then you'll turn, and there'll be somebody who you kind of do know, and you will say, hey, you remember me? I'm Bob. It's been a long time, but you know, we started our careers together. We were graduates together in a big firm. And you know, I was only there for a few years, but you know, I really liked the way that you lived, how you were so nice to me. And I remember the many chats we had about God during, during lunchtime. You even gave me a book. Well, you know, I left our firm and I went to join another firm. But you know what? I actually read that book and it made sense to me. And I talked to some other Christians in my new firm and they led me to Christ. I was once in Babylon, but now I'm in the wedding feast with the Lamb. And I wouldn't have talked to those other Christians if it hadn't been for the way you treated me and the things that you talked about when I was with you. And at that point, you would just break down and you just thank God. God, thank you so much. You brought me out of Babylon and into your wedding feast, and you use my feeble, weak attempts to somehow bring all of these other guys out of Babylon as well. And you look back on your life, and you think, yes, by the grace of God, I put on all of those, that white robe, the acts of righteousness that you prepared and advance for me to do, and I lived a life well for you. And you thank God for that. But that day is not today. Today We continue to see injustice in the world and we need to rage against it. Today, we remember we're heading towards a wedding with a lamb and we need to prepare ourselves for it. Today, we need to realign our thinking to see that Jesus is actually a warrior, a conqueror who will come. And today, we need to see afresh the lost all around us and desire that they no longer be a part of the great supper of God, but rather join us in the great feast of the Lamb. Amen.